And I came across a, a study that was done recently that sort of opened my eyes to some things, and I wanted to share a little bit of the results with you. Because it's interesting to note that when this study was done, it was a sampling of born-again believers. And George Barna, who was the guy who conducted this study, is a Christian researcher and sort of a pollster, so to speak. He does a lot of research and gathers statistics to help churches know how to, how to reach their people and beyond. And so he, he polled born-again believers. His, his terminology, born-again, simply implying that someone who, uh, who claims that Jesus is the only way for salvation and that they have made a lifelong commitment to follow him. Born-again believer. And what he found was very interesting. When asked, and this is in his book called Growing True Disciples, when asked what the single most important thing that they'd like to accomplish in life, born-again believers, 80%, Barna found, are more likely to go after dimensions of life other than spirituality as the springboard for success and meaning in life. 80% more likely to pursue something other than spirituality. Now, it's not always things that you think, well, they're just out, you know, being evil and that kind of thing. Most of the time, it was things like family goals, career development, financial achievement. Those were the things that were most likely to divert somebody's attention away from spiritual goals if they had any. And after doing this study, Barna's sort of his assessment, his interpretation of all of the data was this, that to most believers... Their faith is sort of a bonus or an add-on to their lives rather than being the central factor around which everything else rotates. Let me say that again. For most believers, born-again believers, what he found was that their faith, their Christian faith, was more like a bonus or an add-on, just one other thing in their life, rather than the central priority around which everything revolves. Interesting that he found that. He found further when he asked about their spiritual lives... He found that 60% of all born-again believers have no real sense of what they want to become or achieve spiritually. 60% have no idea. When asked that question, well, I don't really know. 20% have only a vague idea. Well, I'd maybe like to grow spiritually. But no real understanding of what that means. No no real idea, only a vague idea. Which leaves only 20% of people he found 20% of born-again believers, he found, were serious about their spiritual development. Kind of interesting. Now, you would think that over time, that as we got older, maybe, maybe we're a Christian, maybe a little bit longer, that we'd sort of understand more of what there is to the Christian life, rather than just thinking, well, it's only getting a free ticket to heaven, and just being sure that God exists, and that sort of thing. Although those are foundational, you'd think that over time, we'd, we'd find more meaning in life than, 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 than just saying, well, I've got a free ticket to heaven, okay, that's good. There's, there, you would think we'd find something more, but here's what he found. He found that half of all adult born-again believers, half, and two-thirds of all born-again teenagers are still searching for significance, purpose, and meaning in life. Half of all born-again believers, two-thirds of all born-again teenagers, are still searching for meaning and purpose in life. And that's in, in spite of making a lifelong commitment to Jesus. Now, before we say, well, yeah, you know, golly, I can tell. The world's just kind of a messed up place, you know. I, I, those people out there are talking about us. He's talking about born-again believers In our church, most of the people here today, not all, but most would claim, that's me. I am a born again. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. 
So what he would say in response to that, according to his statistics, is that 80% of us are searching for things other than spirituality to bring us the meaning and purpose we long for in life. He would say that only 20% of us are really serious about our spiritual development, that the other 80% either have no idea of where we're going spiritually or what we want to achieve or become, or we only have a vague idea. And he would also say that half of us in this room that are adults, two-thirds that are teenagers, when when questioned on what are we going to become spiritually, what are we looking for in life, half of those people, two-thirds of the teenagers, say that they're still searching for meaning and purpose in life. When asked, what are you going to become spiritually, 80% don't know. 20% are serious. When asked, are you still searching for meaning? Half of the adults in this room, Barna would claim, are still searching for meaning. You know, it's interesting that even though we see those studies, the Bible makes the claim that we can know and experience meaning and purpose in life. In fact, the Bible is full of how we can, no matter what our age is, experience great meaning and purpose from the time that we come to know Jesus till we pass on into heaven. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear that that's, in some senses, commanded. That's the life we ought to live. That's the life that we ought to enjoy. And so, I want to put before you today the idea that there is no greater significance and meaning in life than what you find in following God's plan for you. That you can search, and I can search for many things. And we can fill our lives up with having good families and great careers and financial success, but we will find no greater significance, no greater purpose, no greater meaning in life than what we find in following God's plan for us. And so I want to help us discover what God's plan for us is today. And so if you've always wondered, what is God's plan for me? Today you're going to leave with a pretty good idea of what that is. And so we're finishing our series today. We'll start a new series next week, but we're going to complete our series today on beginnings. What we've been looking at over the last several weeks, as I've told you most every week, is looking at what is God's original design for us, what was life meant to be like, how it got messed up, and how we can somehow get back there. And so we've equated this to looking at the picture on a puzzle box. When you're putting a puzzle together, obviously it's gotten, it's gotten scrambled. But you've got a picture. You know what you're aiming for. You see what it's designed to be. And you put it together to try to get close or exactly like the picture was. And so today, we'll continue looking at that. And we'll see what God's plan was then, what it is now, and what it is for us. And so I want to look at Genesis chapter 12. If you've got a Bible, uh, then I'd like for you to turn there with me. If not, then you'll see the verses on the screen behind me. And verses uh, 1 through 4 is what we'll look at today. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house, to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now, here's what's happening in the story. We have been, for the first 11 chapters of Genesis, seeing how over time, not a long period of time, but over time, the world got really messed up because of humans. And so 
from the very beginning, God's intention was to bless and reach everybody for Him. His, his intention was always to bless. When He put Adam and Eve in the garden, He said, go and be fruitful, multiply, enjoy it. Be blessed. And then when he, when he destroyed the earth and everything in it, except for Noah and his family and some animals, in chapter 6 of Genesis, he starts over again in chapter 9, tells Noah and his family, be blessed, multiply, fill the earth, enjoy it. Chapter 11, we looked at last week, things got haywire again. God scatters everybody. We see at the end of chapter 11 this genealogy that leads up to Abram. And it's through Abram, who later becomes Abraham, that we will see God's plan continuing. So God's plan was always to bless, and, and He continues it here. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so we've got this guy who God is saying, look, I'm going to kind of alter my plan for blessing and move it through you now. My plan doesn't change, but it's going to be done a different way. And so, the, so this is, this is what, we, what we've got with Abram being the blessing. And so... He's, a, he's an older gentleman, 75 years old, when he sets out on this course to be a blessing. And so uh, I want to, uh, to give you, as we start, a couple of definitions that I think will sort of help us as we move forward. Because I'll mention the word blessing a lot today. Uh, we'll, we'll understand the opposite of that and so on. And so when we get to that, there, there's some words that we think we probably know what they mean in the Bible. But, but the word bless was one of those. And I thought, well, you know, we hear that a lot, but I'm not really sure I know what it means. And I, if I'm not sure, there's got to be at least somebody else. I know that you all are much wiser and smarter than I am, but there's probably at least one other person who's, who's not real sure you know I say that. Well, I'd love to be blessed by God. What on earth does that mean? And so a couple of definitions as we begin. First definition is the word bless. And that, as simply as I could find it, means to fill with benefits. To bless means to fill with benefits. Now, we know all kinds of different benefits that we'd like to enjoy. Certainly, many of us ask for God's blessing. In life, what we're asking for is, God, give me some more money, please. Give me some more stuff. And God, I need this, and boy, wouldn't it be nice to have that? And whoa, wow, you know, boy. And then we look at people who have lots and lots of stuff, and we say, boy, aren't they blessed? And in some way, yes, they are. Certainly, financial blessings, material blessings are, are part of it. But to fill with benefits, if you think of it in that term, there's a lot more to blessing, to being filled with benefits, than just having stuff and having money. There's lots of different benefits that we can enjoy in life as a Christian that are not even related to or supersede the idea of money. And so when we talk about that, we're not just talking about money, talking about lots of different things, blessing of wisdom, blessing of peace, the, the benefit of, of living a righteous life and experiencing God's uninterrupted presence in your life. Lots of different benefits. And so, so that, that's the first definition. Just, just kind of get that in your mind. When I say the word blessed, I'm talking about filling with benefits, not just money stuff. Uh, the opposite of that is to be cursed. Uh, to be cursed involves uh, going through life with great trouble, uh, with insecurity, fear, disaster, hopelessness, things just overtaking you all the time. We would look at somebody who's been overcome by the issues of life, who's constantly just, uh, just being sort of blown back and forth, washed away by it. And we may not say that they're cursed, but we realize they're not blessed because their life is not filled with tremendous benefits. And what I, I don't mean to say that if you experience trouble and insecurity and all that, that somehow you're cursed by God. Please don't read into that in any way. But understand the opposite of blessing is to go through your entire life experiencing only insecurity, only fear, 
only disaster, only hopelessness all through your life, but to be blessed is to be filled with benefits from God. And so as we see from Genesis 1 all the way through the end of the Bible, God's plan has always been to bless and not to curse. That's what God is all about. And so I want us to look at, very simply, God's plan then, at the time of Abraham, God's plan now, and then directly, what does that mean as far as what God's plan is for me? So put on your seatbelt, here we go. God's plan then, we're going to try to roll pretty quickly. Ready? God's plan then was this. Use people who follow Him to reach the world. Use people who follow Him to reach the world. Look again at Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house, to the land I will show you. He's calling him to follow God. You've got to do something. Go follow him. I will then make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. And here it is, reach the world, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's plan then was to use somebody who followed him to reach the world. Now, if you know the history uh, that, that, that goes after this, you know that Abraham eventually became the father of Isaac, who became the father of Jacob, who became the father of 12 sons, who became the nation of Israel. Jacob's name was eventually changed to become Israel. And so it's Abram's great-grandchildren that would be this great nation that God established as Israel, the nation of Israel, to reach the world. And so it was Israel that was designed to follow God, enjoy Him, receive His benefits, and be a light to the world. That's the reason that God set it up that way. He also established, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that the first five books are called the books of the law. And we, we, we see how, to a large extent, the law dominates the life of the nation of Israel. And so you may say, well, okay, well, if all they're doing is following a bunch of rules, how are they really being filled with benefits, and how are they being some light to reach the rest of the world. I mean, all they're doing, I mean, if I read Leviticus, good grief, it's just a bunch of crazy sounding rules and some really interesting penalties for not following those rules. So what then was to be the reason that they would follow these rules? It's interesting to note, and this is a completely different sermon that I won't preach today, that the law was given after they were in a relationship with God. It was not given so they, could become in a, so they could be in a relationship with God or become God's people. This, this establishment of the covenant that happens in chapter 12, was before, in Genesis 12, was before the law was given. So understand that they didn't have to jump through a bunch of hoops to get to God. We don't either. You don't have to follow all the rules and somehow God's going to say, oh, okay, come on in. It was always by faith that they received their salvation. And then God sets up, now, now that you're in my family, now that you're my children, here's the way I want you to do things. Follow me in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 5 says this. Moses is talking to the children of Israel, and he says, Look, I have taught you statutes and ordinances as the Lord my God has commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land that you are entering to possess. Carefully follow them, for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the peoples. When they hear about all these statutes, they will say, This great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to Him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law I set before you today? You see that the point of the law was to get the people in position to receive God's blessings so that other people would say, hold on a second, our God doesn't bless us like their God blesses them. 
Their lives seem to be a little bit different than ours. They're following this law. Wow, isn't this incredible? Look how wise and understanding they are. We've got to get in on that. The purpose of the law was to let them live a righteous life so they could enjoy God's blessings and then be a light to the world. And so this was the plan. Follow him and reach the world. And the rest of the Old Testament is about God's faithfulness to the promise. I'm going to bless, I'm going to bless, I'm going to bless. And unfortunately, Israel's unfaithfulness to their part of the deal as they fell away, worshipped other gods, lived in unrighteousness, and all of that sort of thing. And it ultimately then points to the one who would fulfill all of this and would be the one who would ultimately follow God and reach the world. And so that plan, obviously then, in the New Testament, is fulfilled in Jesus. He was the one that through him we are blessed. Through him that all of the people that were there on earth at the time that he was were blessed, given justice, liberation, salvation, and that's extended then to all the nations. So Jesus picks up the plan that God had. Somebody who follows God to be used to reach the world. And then Jesus passes that plan on to us. And so then God's plan now is very simple. God's plan then was use people to follow him to reach the world. God's plan now, use people who follow him to reach the world. Make it pretty simple. Those of you taking notes, just copy what down what you just wrote a minute ago. Use people. Isn't it? It's pretty nice. It's simple. If you've fallen asleep for the last five minutes, just act like, you know what? It's the same thing. Wow, wow. Is he just repeating himself? What's going on? Use people who follow him to reach the world. We have an interesting connection that we, we don't have time to hash out completely today, and I have to admit to you that uh, I'm, I'm not a scholar on this particular part of the Scripture, though I find it very interesting. But we have an interesting connection to Abraham. And it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, that just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, so understand, Paul writing here, that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that's all the non-Jewish people, by faith, and foretold the good news to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Because Abraham was justified or made right with God because he placed his faith in him. Paul says we've got this interesting and unique connection with him because that's how we've been made right with God. It's through our faith. And so in a sense, Paul draws this parallel that says, you know what, all the stuff that Abraham was supposed to be about and enjoy with God, that's what we're supposed to be about and enjoy with God too. Because we, through faith, are Abraham's sons and daughters. Is that making any sense whatsoever? It's sort of this family line, although we are not Jewish, We're sort of bought in, we're married in, so to speak, by our faith. And so all the things that God wanted to do through Abraham then was fulfilled completely in Jesus and passed on to everybody who would have faith in him. And so as a result, we now receive the plan that God started with Abraham. That's why God's plan now hasn't changed. Reach the world through people who follow him. And Jesus himself, if you know the, the verses and scriptures, which maybe you do, Matthew chapter 28, he draws the... Uh, Jesus draws a direct parallel with what Abram was given to do. He says, uh, verse 18, Then Jesus came near to them, talking to his disciples, and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see the plan that started with Abraham. You'll be a blessing to all nations. Jesus sets us on that course again. Go and make disciples of all nations. Interesting, again, toward the end of his time here on earth, just like that was in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right around here, in Judea, spreading out a little bit, in Samaria, even the people you don't like, and to the ends of the earth. So it's not something that ended just with Abraham or Israel or something like that. This plan has continued. So it's the job of those who follow Jesus to reach the world. Jesus made it pretty clear. And so we see that God's plan then is the same as God's plan now. Use people who follow him to reach the world. So what difference does that make to us leaving here today? I don't know about you, but I like things to be as simple as possible. I have a fairly simple mind, and if it's, if it's simple, I can understand it. I can go do something with it. All right? So I'm not trying to make you feel simple-minded. I just can't operate any other way. And so as, when I pass this on to you today, I, I just want it to be memorable and simple. God's plan for you, God's plan for me is this. Very simple. Follow Jesus. Be a blessing. Follow Jesus. Be a blessing. What does it take to follow Jesus? You think of the story when Abram was given this charge by God, leave the land of your fathers, leave your country, go where I'm going to show you. He's going to have to change. He was leaving, he was 75 years old. I won't make you raise your hand if you're 75 or older today. But imagine, in the later, the latter third of your life, after you have retired, after you have accumulated all that you've wanted to do, and here you are, sort of on your family ground, just, you know what, this is it. This is what I want to do. This is what I've worked for all my life. God shows up and says, I've got a little change of plans. Okay, God, no problem. Is there something, you know, hey, do I need to, you know, take on a part-time job? I don't want to, but okay, maybe, you know. No, 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 I'd like for you to move from all of this, and you're not going to get any benefit from it. You're just going to leave it all behind and move somewhere else. Following Jesus, just like Abram followed God, is not always an easy thing. It was virtually unheard of in his day for a man of his age, especially his age, to just up and leave his inheritance, leave everything he had ever known, and not only leave that, but to leave it for some unknown place. I can imagine if Abram were three years old on this trip saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? God said, I'll show you when we get there. My dad had this line when we would ask that, my sister and I, and he would say, and we would say, how much longer? He'd say, 200 miles or 20 minutes, whichever comes first. And he just, you know, and so we're confused for about 15 minutes, and then we ask again, same line over and over and over again. I can imagine Abram thinking, are we there yet? God, I, okay, I've left everything. Are we there yet? Following Jesus, just like Abram followed God, is, is simple, but it's not easy. And so he was going to be forced to change, give up his old life. You know. As a Christian, God has called you to give up your old life, to lay it down. And sometimes that move may be a physical move. Nancy and I have experienced that. God called us to leave our home in Louisville, move to Atlanta, and then move here. We, we have seen where God's plan for us involved a physical move. That may not always be the case, but it will always be a spiritual move for you. Always. God will always move you spiritually when he speaks to you, if you're listening. Which means that you'll be different than other people. Which means that other folks may not get the way you live. They may not really approve of the way you live, even some people that are close to you and your family. They may think you're a little bit radical, that you've gone off the deep end. That Why don't you do this? And what difference does that make? Are you kidding me? What kind of preacher are you listening to over there? I'm not coming to listen to that guy. 
but people will think you're a little bit nuts. Imagine what they thought of Abram. When he loads up all the camels and all the stuff, and here he goes, his nephew goes with him, and they take their whole entourage, and they just leave. Where are you going? Don't know. Well, how are you going to know? Don't know. God's going to show me. I mean, imagine that. It just doesn't, it, I mean, logically it doesn't make any sense, but when God called, he answered. To follow God, to follow Jesus, not always easy, but it's what we must do. And obviously it takes courage, it takes faith to do that. Jesus himself, in following God, exhibited great courage and faith. How then do we follow Jesus? What, what, what can we do to begin doing that? Abram, obviously, in Genesis chapter 12, heard what God said. And then what's the beginning of verse 4 say? So Abram what? Went. He left. He heard what God said, and then he did it. I, I, like I said, I'm pretty simple-minded. So I like stuff when the Bible puts it, there's God, what God said. And the very next one is just three words. So Abram went. Doesn't indicate a whole lot of conversation. Doesn't indicate that Abram said, now God, now, wait a minute. Can you show me some signs here? God, this is really what I'm supposed to do. God, could you have somebody else show up and tell me all of this? He just went. The way we follow Jesus is simply to listen to the Word of God and do what it says. You may say, well, wait a minute. Now, Abram, I read in here that it looks like, because it's in quotations, that God must have really audibly spoken to him. I mean, that's kind of what I read into it, that either, either somehow he had some vision of God and God saying this to him, or God shows up. There is, like Roger walking up to me and telling me something. God's there. God doesn't do that to me today. I can't. How can I follow what God says? I mean, if, you know, I tell you what, if God spoke to me that way, well, I'd leave too. I'd run. I'd be scared after death. But if God spoke to me directly, just like you're speaking to me today, I'd follow him. Sure. But, you know, he doesn't do that to me. I mean, yeah, that's, that's great. You know, you realize that Abraham didn't have the Bible? He, he didn't have the luxury of what we have. You realize that this is an entire book of what God has said. So for us to step back and say, well, God hasn't spoken to me like he spoke to Abraham, is to somehow say that everything that's written in here is not quite the word of God, that it's some other writing that really doesn't make any difference, because if I really believed, well, you know what? God has written 66 books worth of stuff. And you know what it says a lot in there? Thus saith the Lord. Here's what God said. We've got a whole book that Abraham never had. I would say, in that way, we have the advantage. We can know, here is what God has said. Here's how I am to follow Jesus. So I understand, maybe God hasn't spoken to you audibly and woken you up and freaked you out and all of that, but He's spoken. He's written His words down. And so a starting point, this week, I'm going to give you two things to do for this week. Simple. First thing, read the Bible every day. I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make a commitment to you. I'm going to read the Bible every single day. And, and I'm going to make it even more simple than that. Simpler than that. Twelve verses every single day. The same verses. Next week, we're going to start a brand new sermon series called The Greatest Sermon Ever. You're going to hear The Greatest Sermon Ever next week. Unfortunately, I'm going to preach it. Try not to mess it up. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, preached the greatest sermon ever. The Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at that over the next few weeks. We're going to start with the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. So here's what I want you to do. Very simple. Read the Bible every day and just read those 12 verses every single day and begin to let them sink in, think about them, 
and then maybe try to do some of what it hints toward you doing. Pretty simple. I'm going to see what I can do it. And if you want a little bit more of a complicated challenge, memorize it. Memorize those 12 verses. And we'll see next week. Can we say those together at the beginning of the service? Whatever version you memorize it in. Memorize it in the Greek if you want to. That'd be fine. I know some of you are biblical scholars. But, but memorize it and let it sink in. 12 verses every single day. The same verses. Read the Bible. Begin to do what it says. Follow Jesus. And then be a blessing. Abraham was to be a blessing to others. Through Jesus, we all are blessed. Those who lived during his time certainly were with healings and having their lives changed and forgiveness. And I think of it with us. I really believe that if we model ourselves after Jesus, who blessed people that he lived with and lived around, that his community there was different, I really believe that our town and our county ought to be made a little bit different because we're here. I really believe that they ought to feel God's blessing and experience it because we are Christians and we are following Jesus and being a blessing. I think our town ought to be filled, our county ought to be filled with as many benefits from God as we can bring to it. They ought to be shown that life with Jesus overcomes any disaster any financial strain, any hopelessness, any fear, any insecurity. They ought to know that because we live that way. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, I won't ask you to turn there, but Jesus tells them, and we'll look at this in a couple of weeks in depth, to live in such a way, let your light shine so that people will see what you do, your good works, your righteousness, and they will give glory to God in heaven. The mission is still the same. The people in Murray and Callaway County ought to see and be blessed by our lives living for Jesus. What if? What if God says, I'm just waiting on you. Go get the harvest. I'm waiting on you. What if God has been working on Murray and Callaway County for a long time, just waiting on a group of Christians to say, you know what? We're going to go after it. You realize that Psalm chapter 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, Murray and Callaway County included, What if God says, go take it? Go reach that area for Jesus. Go change lives. Go see what I'll do that you can't ever take credit for. Go see what I can do. And I I know the objections to this. Well, I'm not perfect. How can I tell somebody else how they ought to live? I mean, what? you know, good grief. You don't know what I've done. I mean, if I go and talk to the people at my job and people in my neighborhood and the people at Walmart, I mean, they, they know what, they know me. You know, they know what I've done. You know that the Bible includes one perfect person and all that's written Jesus Christ the rest of the people were rotten and God used them the rest of the people were sinners and God used them the rest of the people were imperfect just like you and me and God used them if you say well I'm not perfect so God can't use me then the only part of the Bible you ought to read about is about Jesus that's it throw the rest of it out tear out the pages Because they're useless if you don't believe God can use imperfect people. He's been doing it for centuries. So that argument doesn't hold water. Okay, well, here's another one. Well, it's impossible. You don't know. You haven't been here long enough. How do you know anything about Murray and Callaway County? Yeah, you went to college, but come on. You know, you moved back here. You haven't been here a year yet. It's impossible to reach this. I mean, I know the people here. They, they, don't, they, they claim they know God. They don't really want anything to do with Him. You know, I, people that work with me, they don't, they, you know... You realize Abraham was 100 years old? When God gave him a son that would eventually become the father of Jacob, 
who would become the father of the nation of Israel at 100 years old. Now, he didn't live to be 900 and whatever, like, you know, Methuselah and those guys did. He was old. Okay, this wasn't like a spring chicken at 100. He was an old man. His wife was 90. They had a baby. God has, throughout the Bible, done things that are impossible. He saved you and me, didn't he? If he can do that, then reaching Murray and Callaway County is nothing. Because nothing is impossible with God. And then the third argument might be, well, I don't really know what to do. I see that, yes, I don't have to be perfect, and that God can do anything, but I don't know what to do. Tomorrow is Monday. And some of you are going to get up on the wrong side of the bed. It's just going to happen. You've already determined it. Sometimes I do that too. Go to bed, I think, you know what? I'm not going to be happy to wake up. I know what I've got to do. And I'm just going to be angry when I get up. And I'm not going to have time for breakfast. And so when I leave for work or to go into town or whatever it is that I do, whatever it is that you do, you go in and say, you know, I'll just grab something at the drive-thru. Just roll through there real quick. You know, I just don't, I don't feel like making anything. We ain't going to need it home anyway, so I'll just get something to drive. And so you pull into the drive-thru, and it's backed up to the street. So you sit there in a turn lane for a couple of minutes. Finally, you turn into the drive-thru, and you sit there, and you just think, oh, I should have gone somewhere else, but now if I'd get out of the drive-thru, by the time I'd be somewhere else, I'd already be around and ordered my food, so it's pointless. So you're sitting there and you're listening to some talk radio or some song you don't even like on the radio, but you've tuned it out because all you can think about is, I'm angry and now I've got to sit through this drive through forever. And so anyway, you get up, you order your food. They give you your food and you pull away and you drive down the street and you reach into the bag and you realize I gave you the wrong stuff. And you just think, how hard is it? Come on. I know there were 500 people in line, but, you know, you've got it on the computer screen. You know, I mean, I know. If you ever worked in fast food, that's what people are thinking. I've talked to people who worked in fast food. It's probably not as easy as you think it is, right? But you're just complaining, thinking, well, so you eat whatever it is that you wanted, and you don't feel like going back and being backed up at the street again and all that. And you drive away, and you just think, gosh, you know, is today going to get any better at all? And so you go to work in that mentality. Your boss doesn't like you to begin with, and you don't really like him. And so, you know, you just have a bad day, you know? It all started in the drive-thru. But think about this. Think about if you pull into the drive-thru after you've gotten up on the wrong side of the bed, backed up to the street, sitting in the turning lane, finally get in there, and you think, I should have gone somewhere else, and all that rolls through your head. And you pull around, and you place your order, and you pull up, and you're thinking, you know, here's, here's my money. Here, here's, go ahead and here's my card. Take it. And instead, the person at the window says, well, I, I, this is kind of odd, but you don't have to pay for your meal today. Now, some of you would think, okay, now where are the cameras? This is a joke. You know, this is... And instead, they hand you a card, and it says, we just wanted to show you the love of Jesus in a practical way. And you think, well, somebody's nuts. Somebody's crazy. But the, the person tells you, well, you know, that sausage biscuit that you wanted, now instead of paying for it, you get it for free. How about that? And, and you, you pull up and, and uh, let's see, here you go, you look hungry. And so I'm making some, these, these things are real too. I didn't just wrap up some rocks. Here you go, good morning. Maybe if you like it, maybe not. You can be a blessing to somebody else. And, and you, you, you drive away thinking, you know what? 
Here's two of you all. How about that? Your food tastes just a little bit better. It's still a dollar sausage biscuit, but it didn't cost you a dollar. Think about what difference that might make in your day. Particularly if you can imagine life of not being a person who follows Jesus, and you just think, you know what? There's some nutcase out there who follows Jesus who just did something that was very practical. Maybe my day is going to be a little bit better. Maybe there's some hope. Maybe there's somebody who claims to follow Jesus that actually does something about it instead of just talking about it. This week, I want you to read the Bible every single day. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, every single day. I'm going to see if I can memorize it by the end of the week. Not so I can impress you, but so man, it can get in my heart. Work its way out some way. And I want to challenge you to do something else, too. When you get one of these, take at least one. And if you've got extras at the end of the row, take, take at least one. If you want more, fine. If you've got extras, then you can just leave them there at the end. And what I want you to do is to use this card at least once this week. Some of you are going to wind up at the drive-thru more than once. And so maybe you've got a couple of times you can use a card. Some of you say, well, I don't go to the drive-thru. Go order a salad, okay? Maybe you're not into fast food, okay? Go there, buy a, you know, get some water and pay for the person's meal behind you, whatever. But what I'd like for you to do is pull through the drive-thru, hand this person that's taking your money the card and say, I'd like to pay for the person's meal behind me. Now, you have to be careful because if you get in front of a minivan, <laughs> then you, you may be in trouble. Be sure that you've got enough balance in your account. I'll get a couple more. <clears throat> but pull up, pay for the person's meal behind you, maybe choose the two-seater. You fight for position instead of the minivan. And then when you get to where you're paying, hand the attendant, young person at the window, hand them a card. Did I get to this row? Okay. I think I missed. Everybody needs more. And what it says on there is very simple. <clears throat> we just wanted to show you the love of Jesus in a practical way. Gives them our contact information here at church. and Maybe, just maybe, you say, I don't know what to do. Here you go. Here's a start. Maybe that gets your mind thinking on something else. You know, hey, that's a start, but I can do this too. Live for Jesus. Be a blessing. Live for Jesus. Be a blessing. We, we put the name of Jesus on there for a reason. We don't go in the name of Elm Grove Baptist Church. Not primarily. We go in the name of Jesus. And so as a result of our faith in Him and our following Him, we want to be a blessing. I've got 500 of these cards. I'd love by the end of the summer for there to have been 500 transactions that somebody gets a card. Here you go. Maybe even a couple of minivans included. Here you go. And you're going to be in front of people who probably already go to church somewhere else. Maybe they're already a Christian. But you're going to be in front of people who hate Jesus. 
who don't want anything to do with him, who think Christians are all a bunch of fakes. You're going to be in front of somebody who's just this close to giving their life to Jesus, just this close to going off the deep end in life, and you never know. Never know what can happen. So it's time to make a decision today. Will we follow Jesus or not? That's his plan. Follow him. For some of us, we need to make that decision for the very first time and pray to receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says very clearly that apart from him, there is no salvation. You cannot be saved apart from him. Which means there is no eternal life in heaven apart from a, an earthly commitment to Jesus Christ. Not going to happen. But with him, you receive his blessing, the filling of benefits in your life, and the promise of eternal life in heaven forever. And beyond that, the forgiveness of your sins here on earth and the lifting of guilt and shame. And so maybe today you just need to pray in just a moment, Jesus, I, look, I know I've messed up. I've been doing life my way, and I'm sorry. Come in and change me. Take over. Help me to follow you. There are others who say, my commitment to him has sort of been lukewarm. And I, I, just, want to, I just want to make that commitment today. That I'm going to follow him. I'm going to read the Bible this week. I'm going to do what it says. And in just a moment, I, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And if those are a couple of prayers that you might need to pray, a prayer of asking Jesus to come into your life for the very first time, do it. Don't wait. Today is the day. Now is the time. Or to commit to Jesus, I'm going to read the Bible and do what it says. And do it. And we're also going to pray over these cards. They're shiny and nice, but there's nothing magical about them. Unless God anoints what we do, then we do it in vain. We do it, and it has no point. So we're going to pray for the people behind us that we'll probably never meet. They will go through that drive-thru, and they've been stuck in line, and they don't like it, and they get a card and a free meal. We're going to pray for them. And we're going to ask God to change their lives.